Love that song. Isn't that a good song? Thanks, Bill. Let's, let's say a word of prayer real quick, and then we'll, we'll start just, just here in a second. Let's pray together. Father, it's just really good to be in your house with each other, you know, just with your people. And I thank you for every person, Lord, who's here, and I thank you for them clearing their schedule, making this time, this moment right now uh, a priority. Thank you, Father. I know that when we put you first in anything we do, you bless it. Lord, we here give you the first day of our week. I pray that you'd bless this moment together. Would you say amen to that? Amen. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, I don't have my contacts in, so it's a little harder to see details this morning. Some of you say, why don't you have your contacts in? That's because you know how you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you start to get ready. And I don't know about you, but when my contacts are not in, everything looks better. And then, and then when I put my contacts in, everything comes into focus and it's like, okay, now I, now I really know what I'm up against, you know, and what I got to do. My mom I went home for Thanksgiving, and I have a a little bit of a beard, and she said, you just look like a mountain man, Brad. And I was like, okay, thanks, Mom. My wife likes it. We've been in this get to the house challenge, and we've been encouraging everybody to get to the house, God's house. And we've been asking and answering one important question. What does attending church really do for you? Really? What does attending church really do for you? And, and what are you really missing if you choose not to come? Well, here's the short answer, okay? Attending church meets your five greatest needs. It just does. It's the way God has formed the church. Now, the next question is, what are your five greatest needs? What are my five greatest needs? They're pretty universal, as human beings. But if you were to ask a biologist, what are the bare necessities of life? You know, what does a person just really need bare minimum to live? What are they going to say, a biologist? They're going to say air, water. What else are they going to (laughs) say? I don't know. Let me check my notes. Food, light, good food, that's one of them, right? Yeah, that's what, everybody needs good food to live. If you were to ask a pharmacist, what does a person need to live? They're probably going to give you this long list of vitamins, trace minerals, things like that. If you ask a survivalist, what do you need to live? Maybe he says or she says a shotgun and a, uh, a bunker. What, what, what is it that really is needed for us to live? We are more than physical life. Amen. You are more than physical life. You are a spiritual and emotional being. You you have spiritual needs. You have emotional needs. And we really need these to live. In fact, if you don't have these five needs met, you're just existing. You're not really living. You're not thriving. You're just surviving. So I want to share with you what the church has done for me. You know, I could say, here's what I think the church has done for you, but that's your story. And I just want to share with you what the church has done for me. And sometimes it's been in different stages. Like, for example, in my teens, church gave me power to live on. Now, I I shared with you guys before that growing up, I had a drug problem. 
that my parents drug me to church every single Sunday, whether I liked it or not, whether I was sick or not. They said, Brad, you're going to go. And when I was... When I was a teenager, that's when I really learned where power in your life comes from. And let me explain what I mean. When I say power, all I mean is that you need gas in your spiritual tank. You need air in your emotional tires. That's all I mean. That you and I are spiritual beings. Without power, you and I are not able to get where we want to go. And, and the reason that you and I need power is because there are so many drains in life, aren't there? Yeah, everything from um, our jobs, stress, strained relationships, um, frustration, delays. There's just a lot of things that can drain you of your power in life. I, I don't know about you, but the holidays are very draining. I mean, they're fun. But moms and dads, would you also agree with me? They're a little draining. Yeah, I mean, there's just, there's like more work than ever as you're getting everything ready for the family and and you're busier than ever. You have your job and you're juggling uh, Christmas and everything else. By the way, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Can we say that now? Is that all right? Yeah, it's wonderful. Already in December. And here we are, the first Sunday in December, and we're giving God the first Sunday, the first day of our week. I'm proud of you. It's important. It's really important. And God values what you're doing right now. So, you know, how many of you, by the way, are working longer than you used to? Some people are. That's one of the drains in life. I think there was a study back in, let's see, when was it? Oh, 1973. 1973, it said people were working like 40 point something hours. And then by, by 18 years later in 2001, it was uh, 50 some odd hours. How many of you, I'm just curious, by way of survey, actually work more than 60 hours a week? Yeah. It, it's, it's long, it's draining. Now, here's what Ecclesiastes says. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity, or this is meaningless. Let's face it. People try different things to gain power in their life. They try fads, they try therapies, they try pills, and all of it is sort of a way to try to jumpstart their life. But like one of my professors in school used to say, all power is located in God. All power. And I remember when I was 16 years old, 17 years old, I I learned this Personally, You know, in the Old Testament, God began to work in Samuel's life uh, many, many years as he was born. But when he was 12, God began to speak to him. And I remember God, you know, desperately wanting to know more about God when I was 12, but just feeling like I wasn't making that connection. Maybe some of you have felt far from God before in your life. I know what that feels like. But I remember when I was playing sports, 16, 17 years old, and I went in for a 
tackle in a, in a split second. I tore my meniscus cartilage in my right knee. And it was in the summer, right before my senior year of high school. And I really needed the senior year to go well because that's when scouts come and they look at you and you're hoping to get a scholarship if you want to go and play college sports and things like that. And I was pretty down. I didn't know what was going to happen. I had to have surgery, which meant I would miss part of my senior year of uh, scheduled games, which isn't good. And I remember I had nothing but time. And I would just lie on the couch, frustrated and bored. But I I did something that was good. And I I picked up my Bible and I just started reading. And, And I can't tell you, but even though physically... I was weaker than I had ever been in my life. Spiritually, there was a power that began to infuse into my life and to flow through my life that I had never felt before. And I can tell you this, just my experience, that I understood for the first time, really for the first time, what it means to be empowered when you walk with God. Power comes from God. If you really want more power in your life, if you want to empower your life, you got to do one thing. Focus on God. That's what you have to do. If you focus on God, you will have more power in your life. Now, there's a word in the Bible for focusing on God. Do you know what that word is? Worship. It's worship. Worship is setting our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God. Saying, God, I'm going to pay attention to you, and I'm going to love you. And you just focus on him. That's what we're doing here. We're focusing on God right now. Some people do all kinds of things to find power in their life. But if you would worship God more, you'll find that you have more power in your life. You'll be empowered to live the kind of life that you want. How do you worship God? Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. God says, Be still and know that I am God. You've got to slow down. You've got to to put away the distractions. Um, You've got to center yourself on God. As a matter of fact, after Jesus rose from the dead... This is how God spoke of the church when he empowered the church and birthed the church. In Acts 1.8, it says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's what I was experiencing, a new level of refreshment, a new level of, of repentance, and a new level of revival in my life as I got closer to God. And it started when I focused on him. I was focusing on my injury up until that point. So I want to encourage you to focus on your healer, not just the healing. you got to focus on him. Isaiah 40 says, Don't you know that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows faint or weary. He gives, what is that word? Power. What is power, by the way? A good friend of mine, Dr. J, says power is the ability to do. It's the ability to do, to get an effect, to produce a result. 
The Bible says he gives power to those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to the weak, but those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. Some of you came in tired this morning. I can see it in your face. Sort of. So I don't have my contacts in. You know, you know what I'm saying. But I could tell. You know, we, we all come in a little, a little weary from our week. I like what Mark Twain said. You know, when you're in your teens, you think you know everything, by the way. He says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. In my teens, the church gave me power. It showed me where power comes from. It's in worship. It's in worshiping God. In my 20s, church gave me a profession to live out. And these are things that I find as I serve as a pastor that I'm not the only one who needs these things. I I talk to people all the time that they have a career, but they're not sure what their calling is. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, they, they have a career, they have a job, but they're just not sure if that's what God wants them to be doing. And, and that's one of the things that church does for us. As a matter of fact, God has written up a job description for you, for every single one of us. Did you know that? You have a written job description from God on how he made you, what he wants you to do, and who he wants you to be. This is what Ephesians says. For we are God's masterpiece. You ever thought of yourself as a masterpiece? He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So that, that word so that is purpose. For the purpose that we can do the things he planned for us long ago. God creates according to function. God has created you so that you can function in a certain way. The problem is you and I are often dysfunctional. <laughs> How many of you would admit you might be a little dysfunctional? <laughs> me too, me too, for sure. Just ask my wife and my kids, they'll tell you. We're all dysfunctional at some level. But God created us to function in a certain way. And, and that's according to his gifts in your life. God has given you gifts. God has given you abilities. God has created you with these things. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. It, I remember in my 20s, that's when I started going to Liberty University, and, and I really was seeking God And it came to my sophomore year where you have to declare a major. And I still had really no idea what I was going to do. I wasn't sure. And I remember they had this little prayer chapel at Liberty University up on the mountain. And I remember that they had a little prayer garden. There was just a little garden. And I I remember sitting on the the, uh, concrete bench one day toward evening, if I remember correctly. And I just was sitting there, and I just remember... Praying, and I said, just crying out to him. I said, God, I don't know what, what you want me to do. I feel lost. I, I just need your help. And, and, and in that moment, 
I closed my eyes and God gave me a vision for my life. He did. It was very, very specific and it was very personal to me. And I could see into the future what I was going to be doing. I didn't have any preparation for it. I really didn't know if I was on board with it. But I could see it. And I began to understand what it was God was requiring of my life. Why he had made me. But that didn't come without a cost. It didn't come without a price. And it came through my opportunities with my church. Because what was neat about that is, as I began to work toward ministry, I began to do internships with my home church. So my youth pastor would say, all right, Brad, we're going to have this project or this event. And he'd throw it at me and say, here, you lead it. And I would you'd say, well, I don't know how to do this. You're all right. Go ahead. Lead it. And just by trial and error, I started to learn in the church what it was that God wanted me to do. And that's what it did for me in my 20s, all through my 20s. As a matter of fact, it gave me a profession to, to live out when I was 28 and 29. When I was 29, I, I accepted my first call to a church, to pastor that church. I was living out my profession. Now, Winston Churchill says this. He says, when you're 20, you care what everyone thinks. When you're 40, you stop caring what everyone thinks. When you're 60, you realize no one was ever thinking about you in the first place. I don't know if you feel that way or not. I have felt that way at times. In my 30s, in my 30s, church gave me principles to live by. Now, this was a time of rapid growth for me personally because I was now in a leadership position within a local church like this. And so now I was put in a position of responsibility. So all of a sudden, I had people coming up to me and saying, well, Brad, what do we believe about Christmas? What do we believe about Halloween? What do we believe about this verse in the Bible or that verse in the Bible. And I no longer had the luxury of being neutral. I couldn't say, go ask the pastor. I was the pastor. So I had to study. I had to seek God. I had to open his word and say, Lord, I'm not sure some of these things. Some of them I, know, I think I know, but others... I need you to guide me. I was like Solomon. Solomon prayed, Lord, I'm like a little child. I don't know how to lead your people. I don't know how to go in and out. He said, I need your wisdom. So I prayed for wisdom. But it was the laboratory of the local church that gave me principles. And so because I was forced to study, I learned principles from the local church. You know, this is to me a time that when we come together and where we grow and we learn. If you could put everything you've learned in your time at different churches, I wonder how thick your book would be. How many of you, by the way, grew up in church? Okay. Which, by the way, there's, there's, there's no uh, better or worse necessarily. Some people didn't grow up in church, found Christ later, and are still... Uh, just doing a tremendous job of living for the Lord and being fruitful for Him. 
In my 30s, it gave me principles to live by. There's a a verse in Psalm 119 that says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Go on. It says, Psalm 119.93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. It's like that Old Testament verse where it says, line upon line, precept upon precept, a little here, a little there. You learn principles that you build your life on through the church. So to the degree that you learn and open your heart to God's word and his principles and then apply them, you succeed in life. To the point that you don't, we fail. And it's just that simple. To the degree that we apply God's word, we're blessed. To the degree that we don't, we're cursed. That's from Deuteronomy. The Lord says that very, very specifically. So in our 30s, in my 30s at least, it gave me principles to live by. I'm still learning about principles. That's why I love our pastor. Pastor Tim is a, what's called a principled person. In other words, when there comes a difficult situation that our church faces, he doesn't go on whims and feelings and uh, situational ethics. He looks for a principle in Scripture, and he puts his stand right there. Oh, God, that you give us more people like that with conviction who know the principles of God's Word. Stand on those principles In my 40s, which I am now, church gives me people to live with. This is one of our greatest needs, just people to live with. The philosopher John Donne said, no man is an island unto himself. And Romans 14, 7 says, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. In other words, you and I were made for relationships. Guess what? There is a specially formed, specially made support group for you called the church. It's one of the five basic needs that you and I have as a Christian, as a person. No one can go throughout life fully isolated from people and live. We need each other. We need people. And, and, and right now in my 40s, I'm finding great joy in the relationships that we're building here at this church. It's been fun. It's been encouraging. It's been insightful. It's helped me and my family grow as believers. Genesis 2.18 says, It is not good for the man to be alone. Listen, I don't care if you're married or not, or young and old, Christian or non-Christian, you were made for other people. Check this out. I heard a study. It said, If you isolate yourself from others, guess what? You're three times more likely to die an early death if you isolate yourself. You're four times more likely to suffer emotional burnout if you isolate yourself from others. You're five times more likely to be clinically depressed. And you're ten times more likely to be hospitalized for emotional and mental disorder. Ecclesiastes 4.9 through 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Now, church is not just something you go to. It is something that we are. We are the church. 
It's a family that God means for you to be connected to. And I've noticed a pattern. It's kind of a sad pattern in my life. I've noticed it. That when we get busy, the first thing that we do is we start to cut out relationships in our life. You ever notice that? The busier we get, the more isolated our life becomes. And we start to cut out relationships in our life. Pretty soon we say, well, I don't have time to pray anymore. I'm just too busy. Or I don't have time to talk with God. Well, I don't have time to read the Bible. And if the pressure mounts, we start cutting out Christian friends. Well, I don't have time to be involved in my small group. Or I don't have time to come on Wednesday night. I don't have time to be there on Sunday morning. And I just have to warn you, once you start cutting out your circle of Christian fellowship, it's going to hurt you in the end. You cannot cut back. Hear me, please. You cannot cut back on emotional and spiritual needs of your life and expect wholeness. You will not have wholeness when you cut back on these very important needs that God has designed us with. Without it, we all go under at some point. This is what Hebrews 10 says. And let us let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other. You know, when we come here, it's not just what we learn. It's also who we see, who we spend time with, the relationships that we make. I mean, it, it requires investment. You know, and a, a, a man who would have friends must show himself friendly. You have to be friendly to, to have friends and to find friends, but friends are important. There's a place for you here. And some of you are casual attenders. I encourage you to become a more committed attender. Become a part of this congregation. Plug in. There are ways to do that. And and fifthly, right now, and this is uh, as fresh in my life as I can share with you, right now, I'm 44 years old. Church is giving me a purpose to live for. Proverbs 19 says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. And what happens is when you make those plans and those plans don't work out, sometimes you get discouraged. Hope delayed maketh the heart sick, Proverbs says. I I can't tell you how many people I've, I've worked with just probably in the past few months that are going through depression. They're, and this is something that um, they, they haven't asked for. It's something that has sort of like a cloud that's entered into their life <clears throat> out of nowhere, yet they feel like they can't get out from under it. And it's a very acute pain that happens in, in their life this thing called depression. And I I can't tell you how many people we've worked with where thoughts of suicide are present. I've never faced a time in my life where I've seen so much of it, experienced so much of it, had to minister within that. It's difficult. One of the first visits I ever made as a pastor when I was 29 years old was to a woman who had been taken to Meadowood. 
She was cutting herself. Why? Because that was the only thing she felt she could control, was the pain on her body. I remember a young man named Tim coming into my congregation saying hi to me two weeks later. Where's Tim? Oh, he committed suicide. He's gone. I said, I just saw him two weeks ago. What? And I just want to encourage you. Everyone needs a purpose to live for. Everyone. Everyone needs a strong purpose. What do people do when they don't know why they're here? Do you know why you're here? It's important. Well, number one, sometimes they make up their own purpose. Many people do this. They say, well, I'm into golf. (laughs) I'm into music. Cool, but that's not a great purpose for life. Or I'm into politics. Awesome. It's a bad purpose for living. Well, I'm into spirituality. Wonderful, but if you can't name your God, who are you praying to anyway? So sometimes people just make it up. Other people, they just substitute things for purpose. You know, they just sort of numb themselves with substances and alcohol and careers and children and whatever can distract them from their depression. You know, you can get addicted to anything. Do you know that? You can. You can get addicted to anything. Anything can become a substitute for real purpose. But the, the fact is, you were made for more than that. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Notice this. For you created everything, and that includes you. And it is for your pleasure, God's pleasure, that they exist and were created. God created you and me for his pleasure. He created you so that he could enjoy you. That's pretty cool. I mean, you didn't get yourself here. That's why I encourage people not to take their life because they didn't give themselves life. It isn't yours to take. And you matter. What you do does impact the outcome of life. If you don't do certain things, they're not going to get done. And if you do certain things, it will impact what, what comes out of that. Some people feel so irrelevant. Some people feel so alone, so down that they feel like no one would ever miss them if they were gone. And I'm here to tell you, I believe God sent me to you this morning to say, you're wrong. You matter. Don't let the devil tell you that you don't matter. God created you with a purpose. You weren't created just to do nothing with your life. You were created for a purpose. And you can choose God's purpose for your life. I like the verse where Paul says, but my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. One person said there's two great days in a person's life. The day they're born 
and the day they figure out why. Do you know why you're here? God created the church, the local church, to be a vehicle through which we find meaning in our lives. More ministry, more meaning. Less ministry, less meaning. Get to the house. Because <laughs> it matters. And your life depends on it. Let's pray.